Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Welcome, Freedom House. Let me hear where my Panthers fans are. All right, all right, all right. We, we had to, like, get, shut the lights off on Bob. Did you notice how they shut the lights off on him? We love Bob. Well, hey, my name is Penny Maxwell. My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors here at Freedom House. And for those of you who may be new to Freedom House, maybe don't know how we do things around here, we have a teaching team that goes through all of our campuses, and we have live teachers and preachers at all of our campuses we do not do video venues. We believe there's enough leaders and teachers in our church where um, it doesn't just have to be the Troy and Penny show, right? We don't just have to pump us into all of the services. We believe that there's a lot of anointed people who are underneath the vision and covering of Freedom House, and we love to watch people walk in that vision, right? So we are in a series right now called Cold Turkey, and it's very apropos since Thanksgiving is this week, right? Right? So we're talking about cold turkey. What are the things you maybe need to quit cold turkey in your life? So I thought what I would do is I would just kind of start with this because um, how many of you liked giving out all the little candies to all the little trick-or-treaters a few weeks ago? Were they like so cute coming dressed in their little, their little outfits, you know, their sweet little precious? Some of them I had to ask what they were. But what was so cute and precious is that they came to my door. They had the biggest smiles on their faces possible. And I just got to give them gobs and gobs of candy. And they were just grinning from ear to ear. And I was grinning from ear to ear. Do you know why? Because they weren't my kids. You see, my kids, when they were little, I didn't like them having all that candy. But there's just something about seeing those smiles, seeing the excitement, all of that. So what I thought I would do just to kick things off today is I thought I would come and pass out some candy. So, so I need you to have your eyes open and your heads up because, look, look, everybody's putting their coffee down, like bracing, like getting ready. So don't y'all be like... Telling Pastor Troy that your wife hit me with a piece of candy because I'm going to tell him they weren't paying attention. Y'all ready? You ready? Okay, we're going to start here. Catch him, catch him. All right. Then we're going to well, go over here on this side. You ready? I'm going to try to get you. Ready? All right, don't let me hit you. Ready? One, two, three. All right, y'all. Oh, see, y'all aren't looking. I'm still coming with you. All right, where should I go next? Over here? Over here? Oh, over here? Okay, let's go over here. Can you get it? Woo, look at all that excitement. Screaming for Jesus. Yeah. Get a little candy. Yeah. All right, you ready? You guys ready back here? Y'all looking at me? Don't be like looking down and then I bop you in the head and then I get in trouble with my husband. All right. We'll catch you over. There. Oh, oh, almost got you. Almost got you. Come on, let's try this again. We'll do one more handful. Oh, I got to give the dots to somebody. Dots are good. There you go. I didn't want to throw that too far because I don't want to whack somebody in the head with those. All right, y'all ready over here? You ready? All right, come on. Let me see your hands up. There you go. Look, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. All right. 
So the reason I thought I would start off handing out candy to begin the message with is because that's all the candy you're going to get today. The rest of the message is all broccoli, carrots, spinach. You see, what happens is, is all of us like the candy, but the candy is not what grows you. The candy is not what develops you. The candy is not what makes your muscles strong and helps you out in life. But the candy is really fun to give because you're all smiling. You're all excited. You're like, give me some of that candy. Give me some of that candy. But if you're a parent in here, you know that you can't just feed your kids candy. It will not produce mature, grown adults. But truthfully, when we come to church sometimes, we like the candy part. It makes us feel good. And, and as pastors, we like to give out the candy because we like to see your smiling faces. We like you coming up afterwards going, oh, best message. I, that was so hype. That was so dope. But a hype and a dope message won't grow you up. And so today, you're going to get a tossed salad. You're going to get your green beans. You're going to get your broccoli. And, and, and your face might not like it as much, but your spirit inside is jumping up and down. Right? So I'm not preaching to your face. I'm preaching to your spirit. All right? Y'all ready? So there's two things we're going to talk about today that we need to quit cold turkey. Two things. The first one that we're going to quit cold turkey is we're going to quit being unteachable. We're going to quit being unteachable. What does that look like? Well, I thought I'd start off with a story um, of when my son was 10 years old. He's 21. He was up here a few minutes ago. He's 21 now. But when he was 10 years old, and actually through his whole childhood, he's always been a very brilliant child, very incredibly smart. Um, but he would wrestle with me to always want to wear short sleeve shirts when it was 30 degrees outside. And he would fuss, and he didn't want to wear his coat. How many parents in here, you go through this, you understand? I'm like, no, you need a coat. No, I don't. I'm going to burn up. I'm going to burn up. I'm going to burn up. I'm like, it's 30 degrees. I think you'll probably be okay, right? So one day, he comes down the steps. It's 23 degrees out this particular day. He comes down with his short sleeve T-shirt on and decides he doesn't need a coat either. And I said, listen, at a bare minimum, what you're going to do is you're going to put on a long sleeve shirt underneath that short sleeve shirt, and you're going to take your coat with you. And he hemmed and hawed and was like, you're already going to make me burn up, and you're going to make me take my coat too. Yes, I am. You're going to take your coat, and you're going to wear that long sleeve shirt underneath your short sleeve, kind of like what he's wearing today. It's Colby stand up. I'm kind of like having a flashback. It's, it's like a little bit of a flashback for me. So, you know, now that he's older and wiser, we don't have to do this. But it used to be a verbal wrestling match, right? So he comes, he goes out the door. And uh, after school, I pick him and his sisters up, and they had a dentist appointment. Well, right beside the dentist's office is a Jason's Deli. So I was that mom that their kids had to eat everything organic, Right? I was that mom who didn't give their kids sugar. I mean, they didn't, all the other kids in their lunch boxes had fruit roll-ups. Mine had fruit leather, right? Because it was all natural. Do you know what I'm saying? Colby, am I taking you back a little bit? Yeah, yeah. The trauma of the organic, all natural years. It's like, you can't eat that. You can't do this. 
So we went over to Jason's Deli. Um, we all got a salad. And then afterwards, the girls said, can we get an ice cream cone, Mom? They're free. And I said, okay, we like free 99. So I said, go ahead and get an ice cream cone. Well, Colby couldn't really quite do his. His kind of was a little lopsided, and he was a little frustrated. So I said, Colby, step aside. I will do your ice cream cone for you. And just then, I had an idea, like a brilliant, you know, those parent ideas where you're about to turn something into a lesson, you know? So I had this brilliant idea. I got the ice cream cone, and I put it up underneath that machine, and I was swirling and swirling and swirling. And Colby's like, Mom, 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 I I don't think you're meaning to do it that big. Mom, we're not supposed to have sugar. Mom, Mom. And he's like freaking out, and I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing. By the time I was finished with that ice cream cone, it was about this high. And he was like, are you seriously going to let me eat this? I get to eat this? And I said, oh, you sure do. You absolutely do. And he's just like tripping out. He's like, I just can't believe this. I can't believe you're going to let me have this. And I was like, I sure am. The girls were long finished with their ice cream. And so I said, why don't we all get up now, Colby? You keep eating your ice cream. And why don't we head outside? So just then, we opened the doors of Jason's Deli, and the 23-degree cold air blows in, and Colby's standing there with his ice cream cone, and he goes, it's freezing. And then he stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, is this some sort of a lesson you're trying to teach me? (laughs) And I said, Colby, it just might be. You never know. You just never know. So we got into the car. He pulled his coat out of his backpack and put his coat on. And I just stared at him in the rearview mirror. But I was thinking, you know, it's really cute and funny at 10 years old. But if I don't teach him at a young age how to be teachable, how to listen, how to receive correction, how to get instruction, you know, when he's 21, it won't be so cute. You'll be having to part the whiskers to insert the bottle, right? So it's important that we make sure that we are teachable, that we learn and understand how to grow. There's somebody in the Bible who I really like. His name is Peter. I like Peter because he's a little obnoxious and he's a little funny and he just makes me feel better about my Christianity when I read about him, right? I mean, he had a potty mouth. He was always getting himself in bad situations, always messing stuff up. I mean, it was continual. And uh, Peter is just kind of like one of those people that you, you just read about him and you think, I wouldn't have even done that. Like, seriously? So I want to read you a couple of scriptures of what Peter did. Uh, and there's many more, but I just want to read you two because I want you to get a feel for Peter and kind of Peter's lifestyle. The first one I'm going to read is Matthew 16. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, here's what you have to understand. All these disciples have been with Jesus. He's telling them all about, hey, listen, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to go on the cross. All these things are going to happen. And, And the disciples have been watching Jesus perform miracles. They've been watching him pray over sick, sick people, and, and they get up off their mats. He's, he's seen, Peter has seen Jesus lay his hands on blind people, and their eyes are opened. He's seen them pray for deaf people, and, and they hear. He's watched people literally be raised from the dead. 
Peter has had a front row seat to all of this. And so Jesus is talking about him going to the cross and and Peter has seen all of these things and Peter just decides that he's gonna do something. It says he took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Says Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What's so interesting to me is after I read that, the next verse does not say that Peter said, Jesus, that is really unkind of you to call me Satan. I I mean, I have left my family for you. I left a sick mother-in-law for you. I had a very lucrative fishing career And I walked away from it to come and follow you. I've been persecuted. Things have happened to me. And you have the nerve to call me Satan after all that I've done? I've been with you? I mean, this is a volunteer gig. I mean, I'm here to help you. And you talk to me like that? You know what? We are now down to 11. Peace out, Jesus. Like, I am done. I do not deserve to be treated like this. That did not happen. Each time Peter got corrected, Peter grew. It's not that his flesh was jumping up and down going, oh, this just feels so good. Peter was teachable. I think what's funny is not 25 chapters later, not 20, not 15, not 10, not even five, but one chapter later. Peter just does something that I don't think any, I mean, I just honestly, I just don't think any of us would have done this. One chapter later, after being called Satan by Jesus, what does Peter do? It says in Matthew chapter 17, we're about to read about how Jesus is going to go on top of the mountain. He's going to have an encounter with God, and the Bible says he's going to be transfigured. And He only wanted, he told the other nine disciples to stay at the bottom of the mountain. He said, Peter, James, and John, only you three can come with me. I'm going to let you in and give you this experience. I'm going to let you see this intimacy between me and the Father. And I'm going to give you like an inside peek here. So only the three of you can come and partake and be a part of this. So this is what happens. I mean, it just slays me. Every time I read this, I just crack up. Matthew 17, 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Jesus' face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, talking with Jesus. Now get this picture, right? You've got... Peter, James, and John standing there, they're looking at Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is having this conversation with people who had been dead for a very long time, Moses and Elijah. They're having this whole conversation. 
And then it says Jesus' face lights up, his clothes all light up, and, and this whole thing is happening, and he's in conversation with Elijah and Moses. Could you imagine being the three of them watching all of this happen on the top of a mountain? I mean, we would be sitting there with our jaws dropped, just like, O-M-G. I cannot believe that I am watching this take place right now. Most of us would be in awe, and we would just sit there with our mouth closed. That is not what Peter does. Check it out. I mean, it's pretty hysterical to me. Jesus is lit up, and then it says that Moses and Elijah appeared, and they're talking with him. It says right when he's talking with them, then Peter answered. And he says to Jesus, Lord, it is really good for us that we're here. It is so good to be here. If you wish, Lord, let us make here three tabernacles. We'll do one for you. We'll do one for Moses and for Elijah. I mean, this is pretty cool stuff going down. We'll just, we'll just go ahead and build a tabernacle right here for each of you. This is the part that's so funny to me. Peter's like trying to explain all this. It says, while he was still speaking. In other words, God cut him off mid-sentence. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, hey, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, exclamation point. In other words, shut up, Peter. This was not your moment to run your mouth. Shut up. I mean, I would have been super embarrassed. I probably would have wanted to go gone and hid behind a bush. I, pro- I mean, not only did I just interrupt Jesus having a conversation with some saints, but now God is telling me to shut my mouth. I've already been called Satan. Surely this is the time for me to peace out on the call. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm gone now because I'm embarrassed. I was corrected. Yet again, I'm always messing up. It doesn't seem like I'm getting it right. This is the time for me to say, well, fine. Well, fine. I I didn't want to be a disciple anyway. It's just too hard. Fine, I'm gone. You see, that didn't feel good. That hurt me when you said that. The Bible says that Peter's response was he got down on his face and he worshiped. When was the last time that you were corrected and you got down on your face and you worshiped and thanked God for it? Because the difference between Peter and Judas was a teachable heart. There is no first and second Judas in the Bible. There is a first and second Peter, however. The reason that we're reading about Peter is because Peter had a teachable heart, not because he was perfect, not because he got it right all the time. I mean, there's so many things Peter did wrong. Jesus saw him in a boat and he said, Peter, come on out on the water, come to me. Peter comes out, he steps on the water and he's doing good at first, but then he gets distracted by the cares of this life, the winds and waves, and he begins to sink right in front of the other disciples who were safe and sound in the boat. 
Peter also was in the garden with Jesus right before Jesus was led away to be crucified. And Jesus says to him, Peter, I, I am going through so much anguish right now. If, if you could just pray with me, if you could just be with me. Three separate times Jesus had to go and wake Peter up because he just couldn't stay awake. Peter also, Jesus said, hey, if you want to be part of me and you want to be my disciple, I'm going to need to wash your feet. And Peter's like, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. If anything, I will wash your feet, but Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you don't let me do this, see, I'm trying to teach you something, Peter. I'm trying to teach you what it's like to be a humble leader that's a servant, if you don't let me do this, Peter, you have no part in me. And Peter's like, okay, okay, wash my whole body. Go ahead, wash my whole body, Jesus, then. Do, do it all. Peter is at the Last Supper, the Passover with Jesus. And Jesus dips his hand in the cup and he makes a comment. He says, whoever dips their hand in the cup after me is the one who's going to betray me. Peter speaks up and says, Jesus, I would never do that. I would do anything for you, Jesus. It's definitely not me because I would die for you. Jesus looks in Peter, at Peter and he says, before the rooster crows three times tonight, this very evening, you will have denied me three times. Are we talking about a perfect man? We absolutely are not, but we are talking about a man who submitted himself to authority and chose to be teachable. He chose to be teachable. I mean, this dude started off extremely foolish. He became wise because he submitted his life to correction. Proverbs 26, 12 says this. Do you see a man who is unteachable and wise in his own eyes and full of self-conceit? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 9, 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. There goes my earring. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. I wrote this definition down. I think this is a really good definition I want to read to you. This is a definition that I wrote of what a teachable heart looks like. A teachable heart is one that hears correction as an invitation to change and accepts it. An invitation to change and accept it. You know, what's so interesting about Peter's life, as much as he messed up, later on we read that Jesus looks Peter in the face and he says, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock because it's on you, Peter, that I am going to build my New Testament church. Wait, wait, wait. The same guy you just called Satan, the same guy who acted like a fool on the mountain, the same guy that said he'd never deny you, you're gonna build your entire New Testament church off of Peter, he was teachable. Peter stood up before the Sanhedrin and preached at the Sanhedrin, the very people that were after him, preached the gospel without fear to them. In Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and preached to thousands the day the Holy Spirit fell. 
That was Peter that did that. Peter has several books in the Bible. He also discipled other people, like John Mark, who wrote books in the Bible. Had he had not chosen to be teachable, we would not be reading his books in the Bible. I can guarantee you that. It's amazing what a teachable heart will do. Let me give you some characteristics of a teachable spirit, and then we're going to go to the second thing that we need to quit cold turkey. Let me give you some characteristics. Humility. What does that look like? It looks like a low posture, not elevating skill or ability. A hunger to grow. I say it like this, be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. What does that mean? It means be willing to be a beginner every single morning. Every single morning. What does it look like to have a teachable spirit? It means you welcome correction and instruction. It means you can learn from anyone despite their title or their position. I have to tell you this because I think this is so interesting. Um, For those of you who don't know who Crystal Nicole is, she has won four Grammys. She, all the songs you hear on the radio, she wrote them. She's sung half of them. She's like a really big deal. But you would never know that by having a conversation with you because she wouldn't tell you, which is why I am. Because she wouldn't. So last night we were going to go hang out and stuff after church and um, she had been struggling. She's been struggling with a sinus infection. Her vocal coach said, no, you need to go back to the hotel. You need to stay in the hotel and gave her a regimen of everything she needed to do during the night in order to have her voice ready for today. She did not say to her vocal coach, well, hey, I just want to go hang with him. I want to go party. I want to go have a good time. How many Grammys have you won? I've got four. She didn't do that. She said, I have a coach for a reason. She submitted to what her coach said, and she went back, and she stayed in the hotel room and did this whole regiment. She didn't have to. Her name is way more known than her vocal coach, but she knew how to submit to authority that she submitted herself to, right? It's very important. Someone that's teachable is not defensive. They are coachable. When you correct them, they say thank you. And here's the thing. I've had to learn this. I've been married for 26 years, been with my husband for 28 years. One of the things I had to learn early in marriage, and both of us, because we were young. I was 20 years old when I got married. You know, marriage is not for your comfort. It's for your growth. If you got married to just have a a fun old good time and you just thought it was going to be a piece of cake, you were wrong, and you know that if you've been married for a week or more. You know that. When my husband says things to me about my life that need to change, he's not saying it to wound me or grieve me. He's saying it because he wants me better. What we need to do is we need to look at heart motives. And if somebody loves you and cares for you and is willing to tell you the things that nobody else will because they care about you, why wouldn't we listen Probably because somewhere in childhood when we got corrected, it felt like instead of correcting a situation, saying a situation wasn't good, they were saying, we aren't good. It's a root of shame. And I just want to say today, shame off you. No shame on you. We've got to get that straight if we're going to grow up and be mature Christians. 
eating our veggies, right? Okay, next thing, quitting cold turkey. We're gonna quit doubting God. Now, if I were to ask most of you in the room today, if you doubted God, most of you would go, no way. If I said, you trust God, lift your hand. And we'd be like, yes, we trust God. But let me just tell you, there are really easy ways to uncover if we are trusting God or not. It's actually way simpler than what we think. You see, sometimes we try to look at the hard things and try to figure out, but let me just give you a really easy way. You see, if I said, hey, do you trust God with your marriage? You could go, well, yeah, yeah, sure, I, I trust God with my marriage. Do, do you trust God with your children? Well, yeah, well, sure, I trust God with my children. But you see, sometimes that's harder to measure than some other things. So I wanted to give you an area that is so easy to tell if you're trusting God or not, an area that's just, man, it's an easy measure. Because see, oftentimes what we think is we think, well, I trust God about 60% in that and about 40% I'm struggling. And that's not actually accurate. We're either trusting God for the whole kit and caboodle, or we are not. It isn't like, well, 60% uh, and, and, you know, 40%. So I'm going to show you a really simple way how to tell if you are trusting God or if you are struggling with doubt. And we're going to call this quitting doubt. Um, we're going to call this passing the trust test. Because every time you see a test in the Bible, you will see the number 10 attached to it. Because the number 10 in the Bible is the number of testing. So I'm gonna go through it. I'm gonna show you lots of examples of that and uncover and unpack some things for you. But I wanna read this scripture to you because the way that I figured out whether I'm trusting God or not is, you know, if I were to take faith, hope, and love and combine all of those together, and teach on those. Jesus taught way more on our money and how we handle it than if I were to combine faith, hope, and love. Why did Jesus talk about our money? Because it trips us up time after time after time. And for those of you in here that even me saying that, it makes you feel a little queasy or a little awkward, perfect. This is for you. This is for you because I want you to learn to like your spinach. I want you to learn to like your broccoli because the candy will only get you but for so far. So I'm going to read this scripture to you and then I'm going to break some stuff down in it and I want to explain it. But these are things that as Christians, we've got to know this stuff, you guys. The Bible says that people perish for lack of knowledge. These are Christianity 101 things that we've got to know. We'll, we'll move to Christianity 201 later, but this is like basic stuff right here. So I'm gonna read this scripture and then I'm gonna go through it and I'm gonna break some of it down for you. Malachi 3, it says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. The reason that it says God doesn't change is because he expects us to. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore, since I don't change, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you, you've gone away from my ordinances. You've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. What ordinances have we not kept? What do we need to return to you? This is the Lord of hosts talking. 
He says, but you said, and what, what, and what shall we return? And he says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. Now I'm going to break that down of why he lists those separately in a minute. Then it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The church. That there may be food in my house. Again, it's the church. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I want to break down for you what is going on here. Because as I explained to you, and I will give you a bunch of other references as it refers to tests. But anytime you see a test in the Bible, you will see the number 10. You see it right here. He says, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. The word tithe means a tenth. A tenth. A tenth of what? A tenth of the top of your finances. That goes back to God. Now, what, what is an offering? An offering is anything over that 10%. The first 10% goes to God. Now, let me explain it to you like this because God is talking to people who are in an agricultural society. So think of it like this. So say that you have a cow. We got a cow. Her name is Bessie. That's a good name for a cow, right? Bessie. So we have Bessie the cow. What God does not say is he's, does he, he does not say, let Bessie have 10 cows and at the end of her having 10 cows, give me one. He says, the first cow that Bessie has belongs to me. Why? Because the first cow means I'm trusting God for the other nine. Even though I don't see them yet, I'm believing God that they are coming. Now, if I said to you, hey, I just really want to bless you. I really want you to come to my house. I want you to come hang out, and I want to feed you dinner. And you got to my house, and I went to my refrigerator, and I pulled out leftovers that had been in there for 30 days because, you know, it was the end of the month. It was what was left over. And I opened up that Tupperware, and I said, man, I just want to bless you. You mean so much to me. I want to give you what I didn't eat, what was left over. Is that really being a blessing or is that saying, hey, I took all I want and this is what's left and you can have some of that? Because see, I, I took my fill already. It's the same thing why they had to bring the first of their crops because they were believing God that the crops would keep coming. That's why God says when we tithe, when we give that first 10% off the top, Back to him, back to the church. It doesn't go anywhere else. It doesn't go to the mission field. It doesn't go to TV preacher. It goes to the house of God. That's where the tithe belongs. When it's in the house, we are supposed to distribute it like it's supposed to be. Now, oftentimes people will say to me, oh, well, I tithe 20%. And I'll say, no, you don't. You can't tithe 20%. You can only tithe 
Tithe means tenth. Anything over and above that tithe, that's called an offering. Let me explain it to you like this. So my son, if I were to say to him, Colby, um, your dad and I, we're going to go on a trip, and um, I need you to take my car, drop us off at the airport, and come pick us up when you're done or when we're done. So I'll probably be gone. I'm going to go away for a little while. I'm going to be gone for about three weeks, and I'm going to let you use my car while I'm gone, but I want you to come pick us up when we get back. So if, if Colby comes back to pick us up after three weeks, and he, he pulls up and he goes, Mom, Mom, I, I am the best son ever. You are not going to believe how amazing I am. Mom, I've got something I want to give you. And I go, well, what is it, Colby? What do you have to give me? And he says, Mom, just you wait. And he pulls out my car keys and he says, here you go. I want to give these to you because, Mom, I think that much of you. You are that amazing. I would look at him and i say, boy, what's wrong with you? You are not giving me this car. You're returning it to me. It never was yours in the first place. Return to me. What shall we return to me? What, what shall we return to you? God is saying, return that 10%. It's not yours. It never was yours. It's always been mine. So oftentimes people think when they give their tithe that they're being generous. That's not generosity. It's returning back to God what's rightfully his. Now, if my son came and picked me up at the airport, same scenario, and he washed my car, and he waxed it, and he filled it up, the tank full of gas, he shampooed my carpets, armor-alled all the seats and the dash, and he did my tires like I like them, you know, real shiny and pretty. And he came, and he said, Mom, Mom, I've got something really cool. I'm pretty excited. Mom, here, here's your car that I borrowed. Thank you, Mom for entrusting me with your car. I'm returning it back to you. But mom, I just want you to know that I filled your car up and I did all these things because I love you, because I wanted you to know that I honor the fact that I'm just a steward and I wanted to show you that I'm a good steward. That would be an offering. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to fill the car up. He didn't have to armor all. He didn't have to make the tires all pretty. Do you see the difference? I want us to see the difference because I think sometimes we, we don't understand these concepts. Let me read some other things, and I've already given you the answer is the number 10. But I'm, I'm going to ask you these questions. God tested Pharaoh's heart how many different times when the plagues came on Egypt? Y'all say it loud. It's not a trick question. How many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many times were Jacob's wages changed, testing Jacob's heart? Come on, y'all, say it loud and strong. How many days was Daniel tested before being brought before the king? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25 to see if they were prepared for the Lord's return? How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation? Ten. You can go through the Bible time after time after time. Whenever you see the number 10, what God is trying to say, listen, it ain't about your money. He's testing your heart. He is testing your heart to see if you have strings attached. And if you do, he will put his finger right on it. 
And it looks a lot like eating spinach. Looks a lot like it. Because you cannot fully trust and fully worry at the same time. You can't do it. So why did I talk about that area when it comes to letting go of doubt and quitting it cold turkey? Because that is so easy to measure. 10% is 10%. Whether you make 30,000, whether you make 300,000, or whether you make 3 million, you can flip open your checkbook and go, am I trusting God? Mm, No. It's easy to measure. Some other things might be a little hard. Am I trusting God with my kids? I'm not sure. Can I tell you if... If you can't do this, it's one thing if you don't know, but now that you know, if we can't do this, and I just want to tell you, like, like kingdom builders, if you haven't got tithing down, don't worry about kingdom builders. That's for people who are next level, who they've already got this down pat, and they're saying, God, I want to see the windows of heaven opened up. Don't worry about this if you haven't even begun to do the Christianity 101 part. And I'm not saying that to be demeaning. I'm saying that because I want you better. I want you better. Will you uh, stand up on your feet with me? I'm gonna close by telling you something that transpired in my life. Um, when my son was 18 years old, he, he played football throughout high school. And so he got his license a little later because um, he could never do driver's ed because he was in football practice doing two-a-days constantly. So he was 17 when he got his driver's license. And um, at 18 years old, I got a phone call that was pretty devastating. The phone call was like, come quick. There's been a really horrible accident. You need to get here as soon as you can. I didn't know what I was gonna walk up on. I didn't know, all I'm thinking is I have a young teenage boy who's been driving less than a year. I don't know how bad it's gonna be. I don't know what I'm gonna look at, but I remember running out of my house. I remember leaving my purse, everything behind, just just bolting. I turned on Highway 73. The accident was on Poplar Tent. I turned on Highway 73 and traffic was backed up so far for so many miles that I took my car and just drove down the shoulder and I thought, if I get pulled over, maybe I can explain to police officer what's going on and he can help lead me in so I can just try to get to my son. I'm driving down the shoulder for as far as I can. I turn right on Poplar Tent and right in the really curvy area of Poplar Tent, um, I knew that something had transpired, but I was still a ways out on Poplar Tent. There was no more shoulder. So I had to pull my car off over into a side street. I threw it in park and I just began to run the rest of the way. I remember taking my shoes off and just running. I get up on the accident, not, not prepared, not really understanding or knowing what all has happened. And I see three cars that are completely totaled. I brought a picture. I wanted you to see what this looked like. My son's car is the one that's upside down. It's all I can see from the distance. My heart is dropping. I see four fire trucks, four rescue squads, and multiple police cars, and glass and debris everywhere. 
and I'm scanning the wreckage. My heart is beating really fast. I'm scanning the wreckage, just looking for my son. I look off over on the side up the hill and there's some people being taken by ambulance. I look up over on the side of the hill and my son is standing there talking to a police officer and I just remember exhaling. And I went over and talked to him and he had um, airbag bruises on his body, but that was it. The police officer looks at me and he said, ma'am, we call this dead man's curve. He said, whenever we have an accident here, the coroner is usually here as well. He said, the fact that the people involved in this accident were not killed is unbelievable. He said, I'm in shock. And he said, the fact that your son only has airbag burns on his body is nothing short of a miracle. And I just remember my heart was still racing and Colby and the police officer, they went down the hill and they're doing reports and Colby was checking on the people that were being taken away by ambulance. He was really concerned about the other people and I stood there on the hill shaking a bit, to be honest, just shaking. I stood on the hill. I'll never forget this as long as I live. The Lord said, do you trust me? And I was like, of course I do. I mean, my, my son was just spared. I mean, I'm looking at the wreckage. It's, it's, of course I do. And he said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, do you trust me? Not because the situation turned out the way you wanted it, but do you trust me? Even if he wasn't going home with you today, do you trust me? And it was in that moment that in my heart, he just spoke. You see, there's a difference between, between trusting in something and trusting in someone. You see, the something is based on whether the situation goes the way you want it to or not. The someone is irregardless. And so he said to me again, do you trust me? And I was like, Lord, I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of standing here in the wreckage. Could we have this conversation when I get home? I mean, like I'm processing a lot right now and I'm still a bit shaken. He said, no. He said, I need you right here in the middle of the rubble and the wreckage to decide if you fully trust me. Because if you don't decide now before you leave this wreckage site, every time your son or your daughters leave that house, you're gonna be in fear. And he said, you decide now. And I said, I trust you. And he said, even if Colby didn't come home today. And I said, even if he didn't come home today, I trust you, God. I trust you with all that I have. What made that an easy place for me to land is because I trust him with the little things. I had been trusting him with the little things every day. If I can't trust him with my finances, how can I trust him with the most important thing that I get to steward, which is my children? You see, it starts in the little things and then when big things are required of you, it's like building a muscle. You've already been practicing that continually. So I said to him, God, I trust you. I trust you. 
Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? If you're in here today and you say, you know what, I would really like to work. One of those things that you said today, the being unteachable or quitting the doubt, those are things I need to take a look at in my life. If that's you today and you just say, man, God, I need to learn to trust you. Would you just put your hand over your heart right where you're at? I'm not going to ask you to come up front, any of that. Just put your hand over your heart. You just say, God, I need to learn to trust you. I need to lean on you a bit better. Maybe you've just struggled with criticism or thinking you're being criticized when somebody's actually trying to take you to the next level. Can you just put your hand on your heart? Just say, man, God, I want to trust you. God, God, I just, I want to learn to hear your voice better. God, I want to do what's expected and not just what's expected, but exceedingly abundantly, God, because that's the God you are. And then the last one, if you're in here today and you would just say, you know what, I've got to start by just trusting that God is my Savior, and, and that's a big step for me. Would you put your hand on your heart too? Maybe this is new for you, and you just say, I, I want the Lord to come into my heart today. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart, and I'm just going to pray over all of us today. Father, I thank you for each and every person in here. God, I thank you that you are a God that is trustworthy. God, that we can trust in you and believe in you, not believe in our situation or our circumstances. God, that's the difference between happiness and joy. You see, happiness is based on if our situation turns out the way we want, but joy comes from within and it's no matter what. God, we ask you to help us in our heart to be teachable. God, we ask you just to help us go next level in our trust. And God, we thank you that you are our Lord, our Savior, and our Master, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.